file fifty two of a treatise of human nature by david hume volume two this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by george jaeger book three of morals part three of the other virtues and vices section four of natural abilities no distinction is more usual in all systems of ethics than that betwixt natural abilities and moral virtues where the former are placed on the same footing with bodily endowments and are supposed to have no merit or moral worth annexed to them whoever considers the matter accurately will find that a dispute upon this head would be merely a dispute of words and that though these qualities are not altogether of the same kind yet they agree in the most material circumstances they are both of them equally mental qualities and both of them equally produce pleasure and have of course an equal tendency to procure the love and esteem of mankind there are few who are not as jealous of their character with regard to sense and knowledge as to honour and courage and much more than with regard to temperance and sobriety men are even afraid of passing for good-natured lest that should be taken for want of understanding and often boast of more debauches than they have been really engaged in to give themselves airs of fire and spirit in short the figure a man makes in the world the reception he meets with in company the esteem paid him by his acquaintance all these advantages depend almost as much upon his good sense and judgment as upon any other part of his character let a man have the best intentions in the world and be the farthest from all injustice and violence he will never be able to make himself be much regarded without a moderate share at least of parts and understanding since then natural abilities though perhaps inferior yet are on the same footing both as to their causes and effects with those qualities which we call moral virtues why should we make any distinction betwixt them though we refuse to natural abilities the title of virtues we must allow that they procure the love and esteem of mankind that they give a new lustre to the other virtues and that a man possessed of them is much more entitled to our good will and services than one entirely void of them it may indeed be pretended that the sentiment of approbation which those qualities produce besides its being inferior is also somewhat different from that which attends the other virtues but this in my opinion is not a sufficient reason for excluding them from the catalogue of virtues each of the virtues even benevolence justice gratitude integrity excites a different sentiment or feeling in the spectator the characters of caesar and cato as drawn by sallust are both of them virtuous in the strictest sense of the word but in a different way nor are the sentiments entirely the same which arise from them the one produces love 
the other esteem. The one is amiable, the other awful. We could wish to meet with the one character in a friend, the other character we would be ambitious of in ourselves. In like manner, the approbation which attends natural abilities may be somewhat different to the feeling from that which arises from the other virtues without making them entirely of a different species. And indeed we may observe that the natural abilities, no more than the other virtues, produce not all of them the same kind of approbation. Good sense and genius beget esteem wit and humour excite love. Footnote 27. Love and esteem are at the bottom the same passions, and arise from like causes. The qualities that produce both are agreeable, and give pleasure. But where this pleasure is severe and serious, or where its object is great and makes a strong impression, or where it produces any degree of humility and awe, in all these cases the passion which arises from the pleasure is more properly denominated esteem than love. Benevolence attends both, but is connected with love in a more eminent degree. End of footnote 27 those who represent the distinction betwixt natural abilities and moral virtues as very material may say that the former are entirely involuntary and have therefore no merit attending them as having no dependence on liberty and free will but to this i answer first that many of those qualities which all moralists especially the ancients comprehend under the title of moral virtues are equally involuntary and necessary with the qualities of the judgment and imagination of this nature are constancy fortitude magnanimity and in short all the qualities which form the great man i might say the same in some degree of the others it being almost impossible for the mind to change its character in any considerable article or cure itself of a passionate or splenetic temper when they are natural to it the greater degree there is of these blamable qualities the more vicious they become and yet they are the less voluntary secondly I would have any one give me a reason why virtue and vice may not be involuntary as well as beauty and deformity. These moral distinctions arise from the natural distinctions of pain and pleasure. And when we receive those feelings from the general consideration of any quality or character, we denominate it vicious or virtuous. Now I believe no one will assert that a quality can never produce pleasure or pain to the person who considers it unless it be perfectly voluntary in the person who possesses it thirdly as to free will we have shown that it has no place with regard to the actions no more than the qualities of men it is not a just consequence that what is voluntary is free our actions are more voluntary than our judgments but we have not more liberty in the one than in the other 
but though this distinction betwixt voluntary and involuntary be not sufficient to justify the distinction betwixt natural abilities and moral virtues yet the former distinction will afford us a plausible reason why moralists have invented the latter men have observed that though natural abilities and moral qualities be in the main on the same footing there is however this difference betwixt them that the former are almost invariable by any art or industry while the latter or at least the actions that proceed from them may be changed by the motives of rewards and punishments praise and blame hence legislators and divines and moralists have principally applied themselves to the regulating these voluntary actions and have endeavoured to produce additional motives for being virtuous in that particular they knew that to punish a man for folly or exhort him to be prudent and sagacious would have but little effect though the same punishments and exhortations with regard to justice and injustice might have a considerable influence but as men in common life and conversation do not carry those ends in view but naturally praise or blame whatever pleases or displeases them they do not seem much to regard this distinction but consider prudence under the character of virtue as well as benevolence and penetration as well as justice nay we find that all moralists whose judgment is not perverted by a strict adherence to a system enter into the same way of thinking and that the ancient moralists in particular made no scruple of placing prudence at the head of the cardinal virtues there is a sentiment of esteem and approbation which may be excited in some degree by any faculty of the mind in its perfect state and condition and to account for this sentiment is the business of philosophers it belongs to grammarians to examine what qualities are entitled to the denomination of virtue nor will they find upon trial that this is so easy a task as at first sight they may be apt to imagine the principal reason why natural abilities are esteemed is because of their tendency to be useful to the person who is possessed of them it is impossible to execute any design with success where it is not conducted with prudence and discretion nor will the goodness of our intentions alone suffice to procure us a happy issue to our enterprises men are superior to beasts principally by the superiority of their reason and they are the degrees of the same faculty which set such an infinite difference betwixt one man and another all the advantages of art are owing to human reason and where fortune is not very capricious the most considerable part of these advantages must fall to the share of the prudent and sagacious when it is asked whether a quick or a slow apprehension be most valuable whether one that at first view penetrates into a subject but can perform nothing upon study 
or a contrary character which must work out everything by dint of application whether a clear head or a copious invention whether a profound genius or a sure judgment in short what character or peculiar understanding is more excellent than another it is evident we can answer none of these questions without considering which of those qualities capacitates a man best for the world and carries him farthest in any of his undertakings there are many other qualities of the mind whose merit is derived from the same origin industry perseverance patience activity vigilance application constancy with other virtues of that kind which it will be easy to recollect are esteemed valuable upon no other account than their advantage in the conduct of life it is the same case with temperance frugality economy resolution as on the other hand prodigality luxury irresolution uncertainty are vicious merely because they draw ruin upon us and incapacitate us for business and action as wisdom and good sense are valued because they are useful to the person possessed of them so wit and eloquence are valued because they are immediately agreeable to others on the other hand good humour is loved and esteemed because it is immediately agreeable to the person himself it is evident that the conversation of a man of wit is very satisfactory as a cheerful good-humoured companion diffuses a joy over the whole company from a sympathy with his gaiety these qualities therefore being agreeable they naturally beget love and esteem and answer to all the characters of virtue it is difficult to tell on many occasions what it is that renders one man's conversation so agreeable and entertaining and another's so insipid and distasteful as conversation is a transcript of the mind as well as books the same qualities which render the one valuable must give us an esteem for the other this we shall consider afterwards in the meantime it may be affirmed in general that all the merit a man may derive from his conversation which no doubt may be very considerable arises from nothing but the pleasure it conveys to those who are present in this view cleanliness is also to be regarded as a virtue since it naturally renders us agreeable to others and is a very considerable source of love and affection no one will deny that a negligence in this particular is a fault and as faults are nothing but smaller vices and this fault can have no other origin than the uneasy sensation which it excites in others we may in this instance seemingly so trivial clearly discover the origin of the moral distinction of vice and virtue in other instances besides all those qualities which render a person lovely or valuable there is also a certain je ne sais quoi of agreeable and handsome that concurs to the same effect 
in this case as well as in that of wit and eloquence we must have recourse to a certain sense which acts without reflection and regards not the tendencies of qualities and characters some moralists account for all the sentiments of virtue by this sense their hypothesis is very plausible nothing but a particular inquiry can give the preference to any other hypothesis when we find that almost all the virtues have such particular tendencies and also find that these tendencies are sufficient alone to give a strong sentiment of approbation we cannot doubt after this that qualities are approved of in proportion to the advantage which results from them the decorum or indecorum of a quality with regard to the age or character or station contributes also to its praise or blame this decorum depends in a great measure upon experience it is usual to see men lose their levity as they advance in years such a degree of gravity therefore and such years are connected together in our thoughts when we observe them separated in any person's character this imposes a kind of violence on our imagination and is disagreeable that faculty of the soul which of all others is of the least consequence to the character and has the least virtue or vice in its several degrees at the same time that it admits of a great variety of degrees is the memory unless it rise up to that stupendous height as to surprise us or sink so low as in some measure to affect the judgment we commonly take no notice of its variations nor ever mention them to the praise or dispraise of any person it is so far from being a virtue to have a good memory that men generally affect to complain of a bad one and endeavouring to persuade the world that what they say is entirely of their own invention sacrifice it to the praise of genius and judgment yet to consider the matter abstractedly it would be difficult to give a reason why the faculty of recalling past ideas with truth and clearness should not have as much merit in it as the faculty of placing our present ideas in such an order as to form true propositions and opinions the reason of the difference certainly must be that the memory is exerted without any sensation of pleasure or pain and in all its middling degrees serves almost equally well in business and affairs but the least variations in the judgment are sensibly felt in their consequences while at the same time that faculty is never exerted in any eminent degree without an extraordinary delight and satisfaction the sympathy with this utility and pleasure bestows a merit on the understanding and the absence of it makes us consider the memory as a faculty very indifferent to blame or praise before i leave this subject of natural abilities i must observe that perhaps one source of the esteem and affection which attends them is derived from the importance and weight 
which they bestow on the person possessed of them. He becomes of greater consequence in life. His resolutions and actions affect a greater number of his fellow-creatures. Both his friendship and enmity are of moment, and it is easy to observe that whoever is elevated after this manner above the rest of mankind must excite in us the sentiments of esteem and approbation. Whatever is important engages our attention, fixes our thought, and is contemplated with satisfaction. The histories of kingdoms are more interesting than domestic stories. The histories of great empires more than those of small cities and principalities. And the histories of wars and revolutions more than those of peace and order. We sympathize with the persons that suffer in all the various sentiments which belong to their fortunes. The mind is occupied by the multitude of the objects, and by the strong passions that display themselves. And this occupation or agitation of the mind is commonly agreeable and amusing. The same theory accounts for the esteem and regard we pay to men of extraordinary parts and abilities. The good and ill of multitudes are connected with their actions. Whatever they undertake is important, and challenges our attention. Nothing is to be overlooked and despised that regards them. And where any person can excite these sentiments, he soon acquires our esteem, unless other circumstances of his character render him odious and disagreeable. End of file 52